welcome back, my bubbles. I hope you had a nice week. It's good to be here with you. Uh, quick reminder, as always, I write, I record to give you a unique and independent voice, but this is a crowdfunded project and I need your support. So please go to liebwrestler.substack.com slash subscribe to sign up. It's not very expensive. Do it. Do it now. Thank you. Uh, I hear a lot of discussion in the press about whether some of the tech giants are monopolies. Firms like Amazon, Google, Facebook get the most attention. We've, we've talked a bit about this in the past, specifically about Amazon. Uh, I always found Google to be kind of an interesting one. Like I never understood how you can argue that Google is a monopoly from the perspective of the consumer. Because there are other search engines out there. All you need to do is go to Bing.com or something. I don't know, whatever another search engine is. And you'll find an alternative. There is zero cost to switch. Now, maybe you could make the argument that the right way to think about Google is to focus on advertisers and that the advertisers are the real customers because that's who pays money to Google. Uh, right? I mean, there's like that old saying that if the product is free, then you are the product or something like that. I mean, the advertisers pay for ads to appear when you search for a particular term. And so if you think of them as the customers, maybe there's slightly more of a case here that that they have nowhere else to turn. But that's not really true, right? The, the, these advertisers can still spend their advertising dollars somewhere else. They can go advertise on TV or, or radio or other websites or, or newspapers or I don't know. I mean, anywhere. Like Google is powerful, but it doesn't control the entire advertising market, not even the entire online advertising market. So what am I what am I missing here? I, I think that Google's power in the marketplace exists because customers like to use Google. They I don't know whether it's because it's the best. It's the default in many cases. Right, I think there's that whole thing where Google pays Apple $20 billion a year so that when you go to search on your iPhone, Google is the default. I, I actually happen to think that the quality of Google search results has deteriorated. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's a change in the algorithm or a change in the number of ads that they're showing, but something is going awry. The The utility of the Google search engine is declining. And I don't know if this will last. I don't know if it will change. My guess is that there is some vice president in Google's search department who made a change that prioritizes showing you more ads that like at the top. It shows you four ads instead of three or something like that. And he probably thought, wow, this is great. It's going to boost our quarterly numbers. And, and maybe it will. Maybe that's a sign to buy Google stock. It feels like it's sort of at the expense of the value of the business because people are going to leave. I mean, I, look, I, I don't, maybe they won't. I, I tried duck, duck, go for a minute and I found it to be really annoying and I switched back. So, um, I, I don't know, maybe people won't leave. I guess Facebook is sort of a similar concept. Like if you don't like it, there are other social networks. 
So it's hard to argue that that credibly that Facebook has monopolized social networking. And, and maybe Facebook is bad for other reasons. And surely if you check your phone, odds are that you are doing something in a Facebook app, whether it's the, the classic blue app, if you're an old person, Instagram, WhatsApp. I mean, the, the, the same concept applies to Facebook as it does to Google. As a consumer, you can switch. You can use Twitter or Getter or Snapchat. I, I signed up, by the way, for Getter this week. Uh, so you can look me up on there. So far, it seems to be a lot of Chinese spam. So I'm not sure that it's anything, but I, I signed up uh, and you can look me up on there, Bressler Nation. Um, but look, if you're, if you're an advertiser, you can go elsewhere with your spending. You don't have to spend it with Facebook. And Ben Thompson's done a lot of good writing on this topic. Uh, he writes Stratechery, godfather of the newsletter business. Um, and, and, you know, that's a good place to go to dig deeper into it. But the Biden administration seems very focused on antitrust enforcement as a means of fighting inflation. So does the entire Democratic Party, I think. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, aka Pocahontas, uh, believes that businesses have exploited COVID to gouge consumers, and that's why inflation is increasing. I think Elizabeth Warren is a fucking moron. I mean, well, first of all, the whole Pocahontas thing. Can we rewind to that? Remember when she claimed that she was Native American because she took a like a 23andMe and it was like you're 0.0001% Native American or something or whatever the margin of error is? And so then she was like, I'm a Native American. And that, that was sort of nonsense. Uh, but also, this idea that somehow inflation is happening because companies are suddenly jacking up their margins, that somehow there was pricing power that didn't, that, that existed previously, but they weren't taking advantage of it. And now because of COVID, they are. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. I strongly believe two things that are relevant to this topic. The first one is that inflation is going up. Inflation is real. Interest rates are going up. I think the Fed right now is predicting three interest rate hikes in 2022. It is going to be more than that. Rates are going up faster and further than the market is pricing in. And I think the bond market is going to force the Fed to act and that the Fed is losing control of interest rates. The second thing is that inflation is not occurring because Google and Facebook have too much power over the market. Market concentration is a real issue in many industries, and it is something that must be addressed. It's something that we're going to talk a lot about on this podcast. Not today sometime later this month or, or, or soon, but market concentration is not why inflation is increasing. Inflation is increasing because of dingbats like Elizabeth Warren, who lack even a basic grasp of economics. Like either she is using her platform for publicity and she is grandstanding and secretly she knows that what she is saying is nonsense, or... She's a fucking moron. Either way, she is destructive. Inflation is occurring in multiple ways, and it is different for every person. 
This is not like some universal thing, right? If you if you buy things for which the price is going up, you're going to experience a lot more inflation than someone who buys a different basket of things. And prices are not going up uniformly. I, I have also noticed there's a lot of what I would call product quality inflation. And what I mean by that is that over the past couple of years, the quality of certain services has declined, right? Previously, your college tuition, you, you go to a, a fancy private college and you pay, I don't know what tuition is these days, 60, 60K a year or something like that. And your tuition got you four years of classes plus networking, socializing, meeting friends, maybe meeting a romantic partner, taking classes in person, having exciting experiences, doing a term abroad. I don't now it gets you four years of Zoom school that you can do from your parents' living room. But have the colleges cut tuition accordingly? They have not. They have not, even though the quality of the product they provide has declined. So what previously would have been maybe worth $40,000 or less, probably, because it was the online-only version compared to the in-person version that you paid seventy grand for, now you're paying seventy grand for the online version. That's inflation. Paying the same amount for something inferior is inflation. How about another example? UberX. They used to allow four people in a car. Now they only allow three people. They haven't cut the price of the rides. It's the opposite. The price of an Uber in most cities is increasing rapidly. The quality of the offering has declined. The service has declined, but the price is increasing. Also, side note, Uber drivers are terrible. They, they, they all do this thing I like to call the Uber shuffle, where they, they get to a red light and the Uber driver will just let his foot off the brakes a touch so the car inches forward and then they reapply the brakes and the car lurches just enough to make you feel nauseous. You, 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 if you're, I mean, you can, you can visualize this. You know what I'm talking about. And these drivers have no idea where they're going. And it's great that they can rely on, on GPS, but they take the worst route. They get you to your destination as slowly as possible. I remember in, in Shanghai, the taxi drivers are all given a driver's license number and the license numbers are sequential. So the lower the number, the longer they've had a license, the longer they've been driving a taxi. And the last time that I was there, I found that there was a clear difference. Like if you got in a taxi with a driver whose license number was 80,000, he knew the entire city. If you got in a taxi with a driver whose license number was 300,000, he was completely puzzled. I haven't been to China for a few years. So I, I, don't, I mean, I don't even know what, what number they're up to in the sequential issuance of these licenses now, but uh, I'd be I'd be curious to find out. In in New York, a lot of the Uber drivers seem to do it full time. But when you leave New York, it seems like the Uber drivers it's like a part time thing that they do for some extra cash, and that's one of the oddest experiences. They always want to talk to you. And I'm one of those people, when I order an Uber, if it says that the driver is known for good conversation, I throw that fish right back in the sea. Like that is the worst thing. I mean, the, actually, the worst thing when you order an Uber is when you get a lady driver because that, I mean, nobody wants that. No, the, 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 there's, if you're a man, you don't want to be alone in a car with a woman. I mean, there's just, 
that's not a good outcome. Anyways, it, when when you're in some random town, you get in the Uber and they the driver's always like, I'm not really an Uber driver. And like, I know what they mean. They want you to know that this is a side hustle, that they have some other pursuit, that they're writing a novel or teaching science or I don't whatever their main gig is. But it's so creepy every time you get into a stranger's car and they're like, I'm not actually an Uber driver. And you're like, ah, oh, God, why, but why, why are you driving me then? Anyways, back to inflation. It's happening because the politicians have been falling over themselves to spend uncontrollably. And they say the dumbest possible things about it. They pretend that the spending does not matter or that they, I've seen it called deflationary spending, whatever that means. The dumbest politicians tout something that they call modern monetary theory. That's a, a jargony way of saying that the government can print as much money as it wants and it will never matter. This doesn't mean that we've always been overspending. For a long time, I think we were underspending at the federal level. In October, I said, quote, I believe that we have been mismeasuring productivity growth for the last 20 years, and the value of things from online shopping to Microsoft Word has been undercounted. That is why inflation has been so low for so long. It is why the Fed has been able to and needed to keep interest rates down for so long. I stand by that. But you can overcorrect too much. You, you, you can correct, you can overcorrect you can correct the problem too much. I don't know. The pendulum can swing too far. Whatever, whatever. I don't know. Whatever metaphor. The last round of stimulus was too big, and it led to a surge in spending, just as the economy was already recovering on its own. And, and you had these this sort of crisis in supply chains. Some of that was because of bad port management in Long Beach. That's abating. Some of it was just because big companies have a long lead time in making their stuff. And so in 2020, they all canceled orders for things. And then suddenly in 2021, they were like, oh shit, we need, we need stuff. We need computer chips. And then they went to their suppliers who were like, it's going to take time. Sorry, you know, you canceled your order, tough cookies. So look, some of that will abate, but we are still left with the type of inflation that sticks around. Once prices go up, they're sticky. They rarely go back down. And once product quality deteriorates, it's hard to get it to go back. It takes a lot of competition to get it to go back. Inflation is real. The Fed is going to be forced to act. And when they do, the demand side of the economy is going to take a big hit. It is going to drive us into a recession. But because of the inflation, the Fed won't be able to lower interest rates to try to head off the recession. This is going to be an ugly cycle. We are headed for an unpleasant economic picture for the next several years. So strap in. The jury in the Ghislaine, I love calling her Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell trial came back last week. They found her guilty on multiple counts. So now she's maybe going to go to prison for a while, which would be a good outcome. Although already they're they're trying to undermine the verdict and call it a mistrial. The entire thing was bizarre. It it feels incomplete. Like she was sourcing girls to go sleep with older men. That's bad. That's criminal. 
But why didn't we hear at all about who the men are? Why didn't we hear about Glenn Dubin and Leon Black and Prince Andrew and any of the other men who have been implicated as blackmail victims of Jeffrey Epstein? We talked a few weeks ago about Epstein and about the scam that he ran, first on Les Wexner, the founder of Limited Brands and Victoria's Secret, and later on other powerful men, right? He would invite these guys to parties at his townhouse or on on his private Caribbean island. And then he would have attractive underage girls traipsing around or or boys, maybe, I don't know, boys. There's always been a a rumor that Les Wexner was into boys. So I don't know, who knows? He had hidden cameras that he would set up to record what was happening. And when, when some of these men inevitably tripped on these landmines, he would have the entire thing on tape and then followed a shakedown where the men would park a lot of money with Epstein's money management business, which didn't do anything to manage the money. That's why the business had no employees. They didn't do anything that a money management firm would do. He just charged large fees. And so he collected a fortune of $500 million through extortion. That's remarkable. I mean, what an incredible hustle. And I I don't think even that this was a one-time thing, right? I don't think it was like he gets you on video once and then that's it. You avoid him. I mean, at that point, you might as well be on video a hundred times. It's equally career ruining either way. So you might as well indulge and get your money's worth. Take down all the kids you can get. I think there's probably a lot of men who were in Epstein's orbit who were repeat customers over a long period of time. And I'm sure some of these powerful men were not his extortion victims. Some of them were just rich guys who conferred an air of legitimacy with their presence, right? If you have these important people hanging around, other important people are going to want to hang around and then you'll get to trap them. It makes the entire thing seem more legit. But why didn't we hear about this in Ghislaine's trial? Why wasn't there a a detailed list of the men who were involved? If she was trafficking girls to go sleep with men, which men? Why weren't those men testifying? Why weren't they subpoenaed? The whole thing feels like it was either the prosecutor bungled this or misconduct. Why have we not seen a list of all the men who employed Epstein's supposed money management firm? Why haven't we seen a list of all the people who paid him? His client list is just a list of his shakedown targets. Where are all the videos? Where are the videos of all of these men in in flagrante delecto, as they say? It's now a few years since Epstein was rearrested. We have yet to see that client list. Remember in The Wire when they say, follow the money, Maxwell's trial, Ghislaine's trial, was the perfect opportunity to bring this information to light. Why didn't it happen? Is it a cover-up? Was the prosecutor incompetent? Also, just to clear up, apparently pedophiles don't want to be called that anymore. That's a, that's a bad branding. They're now, they now like to be called minor attracted persons or MAPs. It's so cute that there's a, an acronym and a, a euphemism for this now. topic I really want to focus on today is New York City and our new mayor, Eric Adams. He took over as mayor last week, and I've said it before, I'm optimistic about the guy. I think he wants to be reasonable. 
He wants to be pragmatic. I think he recognizes that some some of the the problems that are ailing New York City, and I think uh, you know those are similar to the problems in other big cities. I think he recognizes that defund the police is not a great idea. Uh, that there are these decarceration movements that end up being destructive to many of the communities that they are meant to benefit. I mean, it it seems to me like the white progressive activists think that they're onto something and they claim to speak for black communities, but they are so far off the mark. I mean, look at what's happened in cities like San Francisco, where these progressive politicians have just gone wild with these policies. Look at what a total failure that's been. And I've said it before, I'm okay with experimenting. I'm not okay with continuing to pursue an experiment that doesn't work. And this one does not work. I think Eric Adams gets that. I think he's a he's a smart dude. I think he gets this. But unfortunately, he is stuck working with Alvin Bragg, a district attorney in the same mold as Chesa Budin in San Francisco and George Gascon in Los Angeles. Bragg has instructed his prosecutors to downgrade most crimes from felonies to misdemeanors, to only ask for bail in some very extreme cases. I don't think that's going to work. But in the, in the interest of intellectual honesty, I really tried to reflect on this and, and play devil's advocate and think about what the benefits of these policies might be, or, or if there's some better way to implement them. Now, people who are poor and are arrested can often get stuck in jail because they can't afford to pay bail, which makes them more likely to lose their jobs. It means that they're more likely to plead guilty to crimes, even if they aren't guilty, just to get the process over with. So in a sense, it becomes a, a, a tax on being poor. And that's not a great thing. That's That seems like a pretty shitty policy to me. You haven't been convicted of a crime. Like if we're worried that someone's going to flee, stick an ankle monitor on them, no? And so instead, these these poor people have to go to bail bondsmen and other types of lenders who charge usurious and outrageous fees. So either way, this is they're, they're paying this exorbitant tax to this bail industry, or they're stuck in jail where they can't work, they can't provide for their families, they haven't been convicted of a crime. In New York City, that often means they're stuck in Rikers Island, which is a, an administrative disaster of a facility. So reducing the use of bail and instead allowing more people to go free pending trial should help to fight those problems. It should eliminate some of this tax on, on getting arrested while being poor. It probably reduces the incremental problems, the, the, the small things that, or, or big things that come from being in an overcrowded facility like Rikers Island. So from that perspective, it doesn't seem crazy. Of course, there's another issue, which is that black people are disproportionately in jail. One explanation of this could be that black people commit more crimes than other ethnic groups. And so they're arrested more frequently. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. Another explanation could be that police arrest black people more frequently for the same actions. 
or that police tend to focus on on predominantly black neighborhoods. And so they arrest the people who they see committing these crimes, but because of where they're positioned, those tend to be black people. It's probably some combination of all of those. Plus, there's probably more explanations and more reasons as well. I'm sure a rigorous social scientist could tease this apart and, and tell you which of these variables explains the difference in outcomes. And so maybe by declining to prosecute these t- crimes, District Attorney Bragg is, is trying to reduce the burden on black communities. But let's think about the other side of it for a second. If you police less in black communities, if you punish crime less in black communities, aren't you diminishing the quality of life for the non-criminals who live in those neighborhoods? In a way, aren't you directly harming those neighborhoods and reducing their safety by declining to prosecute people or requesting bail for people so that they end up back in those communities just committing crime later the same day? Look, it's, it's easy to buy into the narrative that crime is everywhere, that crime is increasing rapidly. If you read the New York Post, if you watch Fox News, you'll just see endless horror stories about minorities gone wild. But a lot of that is rhetoric. You know, there's that old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. Consumers of, of, quote, news from these content companies, they want to see information that feeds into a narrative that they believe, right? Old white people love watching stories about how young black people have run rampant and are causing mayhem. And, and maybe some of those stories are true. But what, what I've realized these content companies do is they find a story from somewhere in the country and then they run it. If there's no black people committing crime in New York, the New York Post is going to run a story from Minnesota about a black person who committed a crime. And if you are not a sophisticated reader, you're not necessarily going to notice that this isn't something that is as rampant as you are being led to believe. I pulled up some some very basic statistics for uh, what New York City calls the seven major and the non-seven major felonies in New York City. And I'm going to include the graphs of them in the substack. What you can see is that they have declined dramatically. But almost all of the decline in these felonies occurred before 2011, or at least in the seven major felonies. And once de Blasio took over as mayor, it flattened out. It declined slightly, but it mostly flattened out. And that fits with my my prior assumption, right? I, that's what I would have expected to see. Bloomberg was tough on crime. De Blasio was much less tough. And I don't have the data for 2021. I, I sense that it increased in 2021, but probably not by as much as some people may believe. Side note, I, um, I've heard a theory that the primary reason that the murder rate has declined is because of advances in medical sciences meaning that doctors are now better able to treat wound victims. And so by this logic, people are still attempting murder quite a lot. It's just that the victims aren't dying because the doctors are better at treating them. And maybe this is true in some small amount, although I I would think that attempted murder is declining just as much as other serious violent felonies, and that fell for a long time. So that feels like It's probably not the main contributor to the declining murder rate. New York City is much safer than it used to be. But my perception as a lifelong New York City resident is that the 
overall feel of the city right now, it's degraded from what it used to be 10 years ago. There are bums everywhere. The subway is filled with them. They're like fucking zombies. And you know what? Like they do make you feel kind of uncomfortable. I'm a six foot tall white guy. I'm not the guy who is most at risk. I know that, but I don't, I don't feel great when you've got some toothless crackhead who's like sleeping there, peeing everywhere, yelling in the subway. You've got also, by the way, a lot more of the other kinds of nuisances in the subway, the mariachi bands and the breakdancing crews. Now, look, I am incredibly grateful that I grew up with parents who loved me, that I had the means to get a good education. I've made enough stupid decisions in my life as an 18-year-old drug addict and, and even after that. So I know it is just by the, 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 but for the grace of God that I am not in Rikers Island. So I'm not saying we need to lock everyone up and send them there. That's not the solution at all. But what we've seen over and over is that these decarcerationist district attorneys are not doing a good job. They are ruining cities. We cannot undo the good that Giuliani and Bloomberg did in New York. There's a, there's a happy medium, right? A homeless population that's shooting fentanyl and living in tents, that's not a good outcome. Smash and grab robberies are not a good outcome. They're, 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 I, whatever, I don't know, quality of life issues, safety issues. I don't know what you call them. Homeless, homelessness is not intractable. It's not unsolvable. doesn't mean there's always, th- th- there won't always be some homeless people, but we're not just going to like round them up and arrest them. But look at San Francisco where you've got these, this theft problem that's out of control. You've got dozens and dozens of stores that are closing because these shoplifting gangs are stealing so much inventory. And the response from the idiot mayor was, Let's close off traffic near some of the stores. Like cars are the problem. Give me a break. You've got these shoplifting gangs. They're gangs that are stealing so much inventory. You need a heavier-handed police force and prosecutor. Chesa Budin is not doing a good job. And this experiment is ruining San Francisco. So why are we trying the same shit in New York? The solution isn't, by the way, just just flood the zone with social workers. Social workers are a nothing. And if if you're if you're listening to this and you're a social worker and you want to come on and talk about it, I would love to have you on the show. But social workers walk around with clipboards and and they're like totally helpless to to create actual change. So they just go up to bums and they're like, "What medications are you on? Any changes in your medication?" I mean, it's just nonsense. Right. I mean, that it, that doesn't help shit. I am skeptical of district attorney Bragg. I'm skeptical not because I think the ethical approach is just to send everyone else to Rikers Island. I'm skeptical because I think that he would see what has been done in other cities and he would learn from those experiments. You know, they say in Alcoholics Anonymous that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. So if the DA implements the same policies, is he expecting different results or is he expecting that New York City will decline? I I don't know. I hope it doesn't happen that way. So hopefully he's not an obstacle to Mayor Adams. I am optimistic about Mayor Adams for two reasons. The first one is a fun story that I read a few weeks ago. There have been a lot of questions about whether 
Eric Adams lives in New York City. He has a house in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which is like 20 minutes away. A lot of people believe he lives there full time. I mean, he says it's a weekend house. It's sort of a weird place for a weekend house. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But then I guess he also has an apartment in Brooklyn where he claims that he lives. I guess like it's, I don't know what it is. His son lives on one floor and he claims that he has the basement or something. So a journalist from New York Magazine decided to get to the bottom of the issue. And he camped out outside of Adams's Brooklyn apartment for 24 hours a day just to see who would go in and out. Now, the apartment is right next door to the delivery yard for a, an industrial company. So one night, Mayor Adams, actually, this is before he was mayor, was, he was just mayor-elect Adams. He returns to the apartment sometime around 4.15 in the morning. And he parks his Toyota Prius right in front of the entrance to the delivery yard for this industrial company. And then he goes into the apartment. And around 5.30 in the morning, the trucks are lining up to collect their deliveries, but they couldn't pull in because of the Prius that's parked there. So after like an hour of waiting, the trucks are lined up around the block. And finally, they figure out a way to move his car out of the way enough so that the trucks can pull in. And then around 7 a.m., Adams walks out of his apartment. He sees that his car isn't exactly where he left it. He looks puzzled. And then he gets in the car, and this is the best part. He drives up onto the sidewalk and just drives a couple blocks on the sidewalk. I fucking love that. I love that the mayor was weird enough to drive on the sidewalk. We need that. And the next night, by the way, Adams returns to the apartment a little after midnight. He sees the reporters camped out in their cars, and he looks at them and he goes, Ooh, you caught me. And then he goes inside. That's amazing. Also amazing that he's a night owl, that this guy goes to bed at four in the morning and he's out by 7 a.m. He said that he intends to go out on the town every night as mayor. That's great. That's the thing we need. We need a mayor who can be out with real New Yorkers and experience one of the most vital industries in the city, a mayor who has the feel of the city. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does as mayor. I hope the district attorney and the city council don't become obstacles, but I am I am looking forward to a successful administration and I'm optimistic. It's time for a quick word from our sponsor. I love podcasts. You love podcasts. Osama bin Laden loved podcasts, I think. He was a big true crime buff. And I published The Lee Show using Anchor. I think it's a great service. I tested out a number of options. This was clearly the best. They have great sound quality. It's the same company. Anchor is made by the same company that created the weapons that cause Havana syndrome. How cool is that? And it's owned by Spotify as part of their quest to destroy Neil Young. Anchor provides the tools that let you record and edit from your phone, from your computer. I record my audio, I upload it, and distribute it to all the major podcasting platforms. It's very easy. They'll get you on Spotify, they'll get you on Apple Podcasts, all the leading players, and you can make big bucks. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. As, uh, as time passes, my prediction about Omicron is becoming increasingly clear. On, on December 18th, I wrote 
On December 18th, I said, quote, first, this new wave of COVID is going to get everyone. It is going to spread like wildfire, and it is going to make March of 2020 look like a joke. I have no idea whether it is going to be lethal for the elderly the way the first wave of COVID was. We won't know that for a couple of weeks, but it is going to spread to everyone, and the vaccines are not going to make a bit of difference in preventing that. We are complacent with everyone touting their boosters on social media. So, okay, now it's been a couple of weeks and we know this isn't lethal to the elderly. It's not really lethal to anyone, but it is spreading to everyone. And our complacency with the boosters was spot on. Now, thankfully, it doesn't matter. It was fine that we were, we were complacent. But everyone has Omicron now. The entire fucking country is a hot spot. Thankfully, it hasn't driven any any kind of meaningful increase in deaths. Right? Omicron is the common cold with some rebranding. And the COVID vaccines don't make any difference. They don't matter here because Omicron is a different thing. I wouldn't expect my polio vaccine to protect me from it either. You still do you still get that polio vaccine? I think so. That's not like one of those ones that's eradicated so they don't give the vaccine. I don't know. It doesn't mean that the COVID vaccines weren't good for protecting against the original COVID. This doesn't make me anti-vax. This is a different thing. And for the past few years, we have seen how the consensus is so often wrong, how the experts were fucking morons who were touting their agenda. And then six to 12 months later, the people that they branded as conspiracy theorists were suddenly vindicated. And Omicron seems to be one of those moments that puts the lie in all of the the nonsense policies that we have endured about COVID. The vaccine mandates and the six feet of distancing, it didn't do shit. We endure so much theater and now we have this, this entrenched testing bureaucracy that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Making everybody... They stick a Q-tip in their nose and, and take a test. Oh, do you have a cold? You tested for a cold. I mean, it's just fucking crazy. And then you have the, the, the nuttiest people who are talking about their long COVID and their, their immune compromise, which, by the way, is a term for which there doesn't seem to be any sort of clear and rigorous criteria to define it. We know this is theater because we see the unmasked important people at parties and at events, and they're standing next to the waiters and the servants who are all masked, and we know that it is all for show. We we have these vaccine passport systems. They don't do anything. It's it's theater. It's security theater. It's vaccine theater. It's all made to appear that the local bureaucrats are doing something. Thank you for joining me today. Remember, I write, I record because I want to share a different point of view, something you won't find elsewhere, but I depend on your support. So please sign up as a paid subscriber. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends, your colleagues. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Getter. I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find. Uh, and I'll be back with more soon.